Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. I have a question for you. How many of you like the news? Nobody likes the news. How many of you would say, honestly, you're a little consumed with the news? Yeah, okay, some of you. How many of you despise the news and try to do everything you can to stay away from it? Okay. How many of you are just not going to raise your hands no matter what I ask you? Okay, you just did, by the way, just in case you were wondering. So, gotcha. But anyways, I, uh, I enjoy the news, but I have kind of a fun habit every morning. Every morning when I wake up, well, sometime during the morning, I click on three websites, CNN, Fox, and Yahoo. Oh, it's just so fun. It is fascinating to me to see how different each of them handled the news and how they look at different stories and different ideas. What really stands out to me is that oftentimes, if there's something on the front page of one, I can't even find it on the other. And I tried. I tried the other day, because I knew I was gonna talk about this. So without hitting search, right, I just wanted to look and see, okay, is that anywhere? This is the front news here on Fox. Is that anywhere on CNN? And I can't even find it anywhere. It was fascinating. So I actually came up with a couple of them that I saw yesterday. Here's, here's front page, CNN. Trump blocks release of Democrats' memo. Right up there in the front. Fox's front, Bill Mayer mocks nine-year-old's letter to Trump. I'm going like, these are, and I couldn't find either of them anywhere else, but they're both in the front. Okay, this was CNN, screaming, fist-banging, and spit on my face what it was like to work for Steve Wine, Wynn, whatever, the Las Vegas guy, who's a Republican, by the way. Fox News, illegal immigrants featured in Trump ad is convicted in deputy's death. Two totally different things, bashing different things, highlighting different things. It is what you will find. I have so much fun doing this. It's not always that glaring. No, it's always that glaring. It's pretty fun to see how different they are. And it kind of just, as I was thinking about that and looking at the news, it reminded me of something I just want us to consider today, is that how we see things matters more than what we see how we see things. These people's lives are, you know, as I'm looking at just how they see it, man, how they see it makes a huge difference on the news, what they put out there. And they, they can look at the same thing in such different ways. One can see one as a defeat, the other one as a victory. One can see the same thing as hopeless while the other one sees it as hopeful. One can call it light when the other calls it dark. And you know what? That is not much different than the church. How we see things affects us. How we see things impacts us. <laughs> a, a few years ago, my wife and I got to go to a, a U2 concert at Anaheim Stadium. And as we got to the front of Anaheim Stadium, this is what we saw, uh, these signs. Uh, you ever been to a concert and see these signs? These things are huge. The dude has to like be bending back to like hold this massive like 20 foot high sign. You heathen YouTube, you know, YouTube fans, beware. Your guilt is real, you deserve to go to hellfire. So I, I think probably the next day, a whole bunch of churches were full, I'm sure, because of this guy's signs, but whatever. But here was the ironic part. Here was the classic part. I also went to a Greg Laurie Harvest Crusade. Guess what I saw out front? The same sign. 
It was the same sign. The dude's sitting there holding up this massive sign. And I sat there, I'm like, well, that's the same sign from the U2 concert, you know? And I, I was thinking about the discussions because each of them were having discussions, arguments kind of with someone. I'd be fascinated to see how different the U2 guy's argument is than the Harvest Crusade argument is and what they're going on here. But it's just fascinating. Many stay away from church because this might be what they expect. Many just go, I'm not going to go because I just know what I'm going to hear, this doom and gloom message that God is disappointed, ticked, and ready to wipe you out. And many people have stopped going to church because of that and don't want to kind of talk about it. Well, this morning, I want us to consider something, and I'm just going to be honest. I know that what I want us to consider, there's a lot of other reasons why maybe some of you dip, or struggle with considering things this way. Others, it's easy. I, I get that, right? Uh, so, but I just want, hopefully, we can all just consider this idea that maybe the Bible has an unexpected vision of optimism. Maybe the Bible has this unexpected vision and it's optimistic. Maybe it's more how we see than what we see. And I really believe that the Bible can help us focus. It can help us focus to see things differently, to see a bit more optimistically. And I, I get the privilege of doing a lot of counseling and meeting with couples and, and marriages. And it, it, always at the beginning, I, I tell them, like, okay, guys, we gotta, we gotta work at helping you guys see things differently. And if you don't see things differently, it's such short-term change that you see. When you begin to like see it differently and see the value of something differently, that's when real long-term change happens. Changing the way you see things is not always that easy, but it's very important. And that's what I think in a lot of ways Jesus came to do, what he came to do. I mean, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when he just started his preaching ministry, here's what he said. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the bad news. It's not what it says, is it? He wanted to believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. That's what he was bringing. I believe the Bible's news is good. And it gives us this optimistic vision that if we can grab hold of it and focus on it, I believe can radically change our short-term vision, our, our short-term focus here and now, how we live our lives and how we see our lives can be radically changed by that. A friend of mine said something to me that I just will never forget. I can't get it out of my head. But he said this, what many are hoping Christ does when he returns is maybe what we are supposed to be doing as his body here today. So we're like, just have this negative doom and gloom, but when Christ comes, he's gonna make it all beautiful. Maybe he's going like, no, that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what I wanna do in and through you. I'll never forget when he told me that. So I believe that that's what Jesus came to illuminate. That's what Jesus came to enlighten us on, to bring light to, to establish that he has a plan, he has a vision here, today, and forevermore. It's good news that he wants us to see, to trust, and to live into. John 1, 9, when Jesus was coming onto the scene, it said, 
The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And when we begin to focus on God's optimistic vision, I think it will begin to have power over our lives. It could change us from the inside out. And I just want to tell you, I believe personally that all of us focus on something. All of us focus on something that is having power over our lives. Every one of us. Every one of us sees things in a certain way that begin to dictate how we live and the attitudes that we have. And so if Jesus came to enlighten us, if Jesus came to bring light to all men, to help us see, what's that big picture? What's the vision? What's that unexpected optimism that can maybe change our lives as we focus on, can change us from the inside out? What's the good news? So I started thinking of like all these different passages and one finally really stood out to me. And I, right away earlier in the week, I started thinking about this and I wanna, we're gonna go through that. It's Colossians chapter one. And in Colossians chapter one, you just see Paul paint this picture, this optimistic picture that I think he wants to enlighten us to, wants us to see. It's verse 15 through 20. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna start off by just reading through it. And then we're going to go end up going back to it and kind of just look at three different things that, that I just want to kind of highlight today. But let's just read through it. Starting in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." What a vision we see here. What a vision of hope and reconciliation and peace. And it's clear, it's clear where this vision has its foundation. It's clear what the cornerstone of this vision is or the building block by which this vision rises and this vision continues to move forward. And it's Jesus Christ. Can you go to the next slide for me real quick? So Jesus Christ is the foundation that can give us an unexpected vision of optimism in this broken world. This whole vision we see here in Colossians 1 has its foundation on Jesus. And in that passage in Colossians, we can see what Jesus wants to bring to light, what his life, what his message, what his death and resurrection brought to light what he wanted us to see, what his vision is. And I believe that if we can focus on the things taught in this portion of scripture, it could give us a more optimistic view, a more optimistic focus in our lives. So let's take a look at what Paul shows us. The first thing he shows us in verse 15, 
Colossians 1.15, where he said this, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. What a powerful statement. What a powerful truth. Jesus is the image of God. Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And they talk about this in the Bible and other places as well. Look at John chapter one. In John chapter one, it said, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now look what it says. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only son who is at the father's side has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus makes him known to us. Jesus shows us who God is. And Jesus talked about that when he was talking to Philip. Later on in John, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, show us God, that will be enough for us. And I love how Jesus responds. He says, Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What a powerful reality that Jesus is the image of God. One author put it like this, and I like how he put it. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is God's ultimate act of self-disclosure. Jesus is the true light which enlightens everyone. So what does Jesus show us about God? What's he show us about God? He shows us that God is here that God cares, that God understands, that God loves. Jesus battled the brokenness of this world. He came and he sought out those in need. He loved everyone that he came in contact with. He loved and he served the least. He served the last. He served the lost. He fed the hungry. He clothed the naked. He helped the sick. He loved children. He befriended the outcast. He showed grace to the sinner. I love the interaction in Mark chapter 2. When you had some of the law, some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, they saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. And they asked Jesus' disciples, man, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus hears them talking and he responds to them and says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Do you want to know the heart of God? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know the heart of God? Look at Jesus. Jesus gave his life to make the world more just and fair. But the brokenness of this world swallowed him up. He was rejected by his own people, by his own family, by his own town. He was chased out of cities. He was threatened with arrest, abuse, beatings, and even death multiple times. He was targeted by the religious as well as the political leaders. He was arrested unjustly. He was tried unfairly, and he was executed by the horrors of crucifixion. And a passage that just stood up to me, Hebrews chapter two. I don't know why this one just kind of stood up in my head, but it says, because he himself suffered, talking about Jesus when he was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. 
When you look at what Jesus endured, what Jesus went through, it says that he can sympathize with our weaknesses, that he knows our sufferings. When we see what Jesus was about, we see what God is about. I kind of just summarized it like this. Jesus' life shows the good news that God cares about us and this broken world. God cares about us and this broken world. I don't know what your vision of God is. I don't know what your past is, what you've experienced. There's so many things that go on. If we were all sit here and really tell everyone what we think of God, who we think he is, I don't think any of us would probably be on the same page totally. We'd all have different reasons and different thoughts. But I want to assure you, I want to at least assure you that God is good. He cares. And through the life and teachings of Jesus, I believe he wants you to be enlightened to that truth. That Jesus came to bring light, to open our eyes, to see God, to know God through him. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. May you rest in that. That's good news. That is good news of hope in God. But there's more. There's more in Colossians 1. He goes on in verse 16. He says this, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only is Jesus that ultimate act of disclosure by God of himself, but by Jesus, everything was created and is held together. Everything is created and held together. Now, I know, I often say, and I hear that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And I got to honestly tell you, I, I believe that, but at times I deeply struggle with that. Is anyone on that same page? Okay, I, I can believe that, but then I see things happen. I, I, I go through things with the people or I, I see something going on in the world and I just, I can't tag. I just can't in my heart like tag God's in control of that. You know what I mean? It's just like too much. So I understand that, that teaching. I understand the wrestling. I have it too. But this passage here in Colossians kind of got this like clear light. It began to see, remember we talked about how we see things can change. You know, it's not about what we see, but how we see things. It kind of cleared a little thing up for me, helped me to see it a little differently. Here's, here's how I put it, is that Jesus created all things and is, and is ultimately holding it together. And that's good news. He created all things, he's ultimately holding it together. And that's good news. Now, it doesn't always seem like things are being held together, does it? It doesn't always seem that way, but I deeply believe it is, and I think it will continue to be. Now, here's what happened to me just over the last day or two. All of a sudden, I just had this no way moment. I started thinking about the reality when this passage was written in Colossians 2,000 years ago, and here we are. He held it together. We're still here. And man, to be honest with you, would you rather live in the era when this was written or now? I mean, if you ever watch any movies about old times, man, I don't, I'm, I'm scared enough as it is. 
you know, Game of Thrones type stuff? No way, man. People walk around with big old swords. That's not my deal. I sit there and look at it and go, not only has he held it together, but in my opinion, when you really look at throughout human history, it's probably better now than ever before. We live in a pretty amazing time, wouldn't you agree? A pretty amazing time. Yes, there's still brokenness out there for sure. But man, there is organizations and people and churches moving to change that all the time. That's what I think the message is. And when I started comparing, not just my life and going like, well, it was better 30 years ago. Okay, okay, whatever. I'm talking 3,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, you know. I'm talking about longer than that. All of a sudden, it became clear that when he wrote that, now here we are. And maybe I can begin to have this optimistic view of going like, wow, he sure has held it together. Maybe he's got today too somehow. And that could help me just keep moving forward, thinking a little differently. I know it's not always easy. <laughs> not always easy. But each of part of us, each of us are part of him holding it together, I believe. If you're a believer and you've been impacted by the spirit of God, that you now have the power of God in your life, moving through your life, that message of Jesus, we are now part of holding that together. As we love and give and care, next week we're going to be talking about engagement, unexpected engagement. Man, I'm part of this now. I get to see marriage. I get to see my family, my life, people around me. I get to see amazing things happen. God is still working. He is still holding it together. And I love these different passages. I went all the way back to Genesis, probably one of the famous ones in Genesis 50, 20, after the whole Joseph and his brothers and the whole thing in there. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was there saying, God has held this together and it's worked it out somehow. Or in Ephesians chapter 1, in him we are also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Again, it just sometimes blows me away. Do you ever read the Bible and just go, that's 2,000 years ago? What did they think when they read it? And now here I am 2,000 years later, going, here we still are, God's church getting together, worshiping God, serving him, and trying to bring the love and grace and mercy of God to this world. How cool is that? He's still working. He's holding it together. That's how the Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I think if we begin to see this optimistic kind of vision that he created all things, he's holding it together, could have a radical powerful influence in our lives. And I know, I know, sometimes it just feels so random like there's no order and that everything is so chaotic, I get it. But ultimately, I don't believe it actually is. Not in the big picture. It's holding it together. And that's good news. And everything takes faith. And that's where I want to put my trust and faith in. Each day, that he's got this. Somehow holding it together. And again, I don't necessarily look at it in the little myopic decisions in my life, you know. You know, make sure you keep the lane open so I can get to work on time when I left late, you know, type of stuff. I'm, I'm not really like that, you know. It's the bigger things, just the bigger reality. The bigger reality. So he is the image of God. 
You see Jesus, you see God. That should, that should paint a picture of God that makes us go, yeah, whoa. That's what God's like. He created all things. He's holding it together. Oh, beautiful. That helps me to go into today. I don't know how it's all going to work out. It doesn't even matter as much now, right? I'm just going to keep moving forward. Keep doing what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Keep living. And then in verse 20 of Colossians 1, he says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not certain what Paul means by reconciling to himself all things. But I I just feel that God maybe wants us to have a broader view of God's work of grace through Christ. It's not such a just me, but it's it's some bigger thing. God's doing a lot bigger of a thing than than we know. And he paints this picture that he's reconciling all things. To see this life in Christ being available to all and what he's doing in and through us, in and through his church, in and through his people. Paul talks about this in other passages, in other books. That he, it, um, in Ephesians, he says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have re- re- reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, remember, that was written 2,000 years ago, too. I think there's a part that we got to understand. As Christ died and rose from the dead and his spirit now dwells in us, I think in some way he's in the process of bringing everything underneath him through us, through his people, through his church. I think there's a reality of that, that I want to sit there and go, all right, God, keep moving, right? Keep moving. Keep furthering that message, bringing all things in heaven and earth together under one in Christ as he's done in my life. Corinthians, he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Man, I love that. Not counting men's sins against them. How many of you just go, yeah, Whew. right? And that's enlightened. We're, we're here to spread that message. We're here to help people to see that there's life in Christ. There's hope. There's forgiveness. What a powerful reminder that we have peace with God, hope of the glory of God. His spirit poured out in our hearts, our sins forgiven, and we are bringing that and spreading that, having a bigger picture of what God's doing, not just in our little world, but around the world. And when we think about thousands of years of it. So I got a good news alert. Good news alert, right? Jesus is reconciling all things back to God through his life, death, and resurrection, making forgiveness, peace, and hope available to all people. It's available for people to come in and see this beautiful love of God. That just fires me up. It makes sense, these passages. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and I'll be glad in it. It's good news. Give thanks in all circumstances, Thessalonians says, for this is God's will for you. Man, this vision that when I see Christ, I see God, that's the pure theology of God in a sense is Christ. You've seen me, you've seen the Father, created all things. I'm holding it together and I have a plan I'm working out. I'm redeeming, I'm bringing people, I'm not counting men's sins against them. I'm continuing to further that. My message, wants to, I want to bring hope to the hopeless. I want to stand against the oppressed. 
I want to bring peace and love into this world. What a beautiful picture. That's God's doing. It's what he's wanting to do, and we get to be a part of that. So I don't know what you choose to focus on. I don't know. I don't know if you're a Fox News person or a CNN News person, or you kind of like the simplicity of Yahoo that seems to talk about a lot of things that don't really matter, (laughs) which I like. It's a little simpler, right? But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge all of us. That maybe if we read the Bible, focusing on Jesus' life, his message and vision, we just might find this overarching news unexpectedly optimistic. And that's how he wants us to walk in this world. As we're bringing that and living that in the life that we live. I want to end with Hebrews chapter 12. I just, I love this passage because it's always been this, like, just go back when I'm feeling a little down, when I'm feeling a little pessimistic. Ever get a little pessimistic? You know, this is the passage I turn to. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. Man, I want to tell you guys, I think we're the joy in some ways. We're here 2,000 years later. We're gathering, we're worshiping, we're serving God. We still know we're loved by God and we're loving others. And maybe that was the joy of his work. He was gonna stand against the political and the religious leaders and while he was on the cross, he was gonna say, forgive them and put on display the love of God. Conquer sin and death. So don't have any fear. Perfect love casts out fear. For that joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Then I love what it says. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I hope you see the beauty of God's vision. I believe we should have an optimistic view as we see God through Christ, as we trust he's holding things together as he's been doing for thousands of years and that he's redeeming, continuing to redeem, showing men that I don't count my, your sins against you. I took care of that. I rose from the dead conquering sin and death. Come, experience my life. We you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just... Uh, this vision. I know we can see gloom and doom sometimes. We can focus on the negative. I know it's so easy, but I just can't help but think as I look at the big picture of your word, as I look at the big picture of the Bible, that there's this optimistic vision, this unexpected optimism that you are love, that you are here, that you care. Seen through the life of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his message, that we see you, Father, through Jesus and that he holds all things together. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem that way, but give us the faith to believe that you are and that we just keep walking, we keep moving, trusting and that your plan of redemption is continuing to move and that we get to be part of that. What good news. May we repent and believe the good news. The good news that you put forth in your word.
so that we might have this vision as well in our lives today, amongst our relationships, our family, our jobs, this world. May your kingdom come and your will be done today in our lives as is being done in heaven. May we rejoice. May we give thanks for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.